Renlease and Ben Morgan from Bowbird. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So you're the co-creators of an online platform that connects architects with journalists to facilitate the publication of architecture projects. Can you tell us a bit about, for those who haven't come across the platform before, what it is and how the idea came to be? Okay, so Bowbird is a tech platform. So it's, it lives in the cloud and it's a community of architects and journalists who share content uh, so that can be published in magazines and newspapers. So architects upload the, uh, the stories and photos of their work and then journalists use it. Came about from a scratch your own itch, didn't it, Nick? Um, Nick was a, an architectural photographer just getting started and um, had no idea how publishing worked. Uh, so <laughs> started doing some research. Yeah, it started off, came out of architectural photography and trying to figure out how do you get those photos in the hands of journalists and we worked up this idea of creating media kits and it started off as a very simple PDF. And then that grew into, what if we made this, you know, a little bit little more bit of an more app? app. And um, yeah, and it just grew out of that. And we just kept building it and building it. And eventually it became its, uh, its own thing in many ways. And so had you identified that there was an issue around architects getting their projects published? Yes, and I guess the big change was that this, the original idea was coming about probably about 2010, 2012, and, you know, the internet was, had been exploding for probably a decade. So we'd moved from a place where there was a handful of magazines um, and a handful of architects who were getting published to suddenly this global marketplace of websites, Instagram accounts, podcasts, a whole range of media, and it was part of the harder um, or the challenge was knowing all the editors because rather than just being in a room with them when you go to an event, suddenly you're having to know editors on the other side of the world. So uh, the original idea was, um, can I create a list of journalists and keep track of them? And then I realized there was a lot more journalists than I had ever imagined. And even, even now, keeping track of them all is quite a big part of what we do at Bowerbird. Yeah, and I, I, I come from the, the journalist side, so I'm a journalist by trade and I worked within uh, architecture and design publishing. Uh, and when uh, Nick and I um, met through another, another project and he told me about this idea and I went, that would have solved so many problems for me when I was working in-house as a journalist, um, really useful for journalists to get access to this content and not have to go and do um, all the research themselves and knock, and knock on doors and pick up phones and all of that. Brilliant. Now, I've noticed that a lot of the content that you guys publish, including on your podcast, is in relation to the importance of storytelling in architecture projects. This is very consistent with what we teach in our DAPS course. Uh, it's a lot of emphasis on it's about the storytelling. It's not just showing some pretty pictures on your website. And whilst the photography is important, there is this storytelling element. What uh, advice or tips have you got for architects in being able to communicate a story when sharing their projects? You go, Ben. <laughs> well, yeah, as the journalist, I should have them. Um, look, we, we've got some really basic ones, which we, as you mentioned, we do go through in our, in our podcast, but um, really the idea behind storytelling is that all of our brains are hardwired to understand narratives. So from the youngest age, we're read these books and we watch these you know, TV programs that have narrative built in. Um, and so it's really easy to just hang a story on a simple narrative, which is beginning, middle and end. So we talk
talk about the brief challenges and solutions. That's the, the beginning, middle and end of a project. Um, so, you know, that's really basic storytelling for architects. And, and if you can get that right, um, which is really not that hard, um, you should be communicating the most important parts of the project. Terrific. And what's the role of the client in this? Because I know that you encourage people to get their clients telling the story, but the feedback, and we, and we do the same, but we get a lot of feedback saying, oh, how do I get my clients involved in this? Or, you know, they leave it too late. What advice do you have when approaching clients about getting them on board to be a part of the storytelling? Uh, you make the client the hero. So you put them as a centre of the story so that um, other people who are reading it are going to be potential customers of yours. So if you're talking about the architect all the time, you attract other architects to read your content. If you want the client to be reading it, then they need to be at the, the center of it. And it's about good communication with them at an early stage, by taking them on the journey while you're designing it, because that's ultimately what the story is going to be about. Yeah, and I think um, often architects will have a conversation early on with the, um, with the client saying, look, we're going to photograph this project. We're going to do all of these things and they'll put it in the contract. But by the, by the time the handover hand. comes, um, there's basically everyone's forgotten about the contract. Everyone's forgotten that's happened. So continually talking about the fact that it's going to be published, that there's going to be a photo shoot, all of those sorts of things um, are really valuable with the clients. But something really simple is just interview your clients like you're a journalist. And I know that's kind of hard to get in the mindset of a journalist, but just be really curious about the space. So the problem or the, the issue that you have with architecture is that the architect and client are so involved in the project, they sometimes can't step outside of it. So if you can even get someone else in your office, in your studio um, to ask the client's questions, you'll get these great pieces of information and great testimonials that come out where, you know, Nick as a photographer, you know, he'll, he'll go and ask the client, oh, you know, where's your favourite place in the house? And all of a sudden the client will say, oh, well, it's this spot over here. And that's a conversation that's never happened before with the architect. Um, and it might be a really important part to the story. So curiosity, be curious, ask your clients how they live in the space, what they love most about it. Those sort of simple questions um, can be really valuable to the story. And it will often be parts which, um, as the architect, you won't be so aware of. It'll be things like, this is a little step, or this is where my children play. Because once they've lived in the house, they're starting to add their own stories on top of the building. Whereas for the architect, their stories are generally going to be attached to the things that were difficult for them. So they'll focus on maybe there was a feature which was really difficult or they had to fight for. So in their mind, the story is very different to the client story. Yeah, great. There's some really good tips in there. Make your client the hero. And, uh, you know, if you need to get a get a third party to, to capture it. When they're capturing that story from the client, how do you recommend they do that? What sort of medium should they be using? Is video appropriate? Should they just be taking notes? What do you suggest? Uh, I'd definitely be recording it, um, but you can just do that with your phone, the voice memo tool on your phone. So that, that would be a good way to capture testimonials and quotes from your clients that um, are quite emotive. So clients will talk in emotive language, architects will generally talk in sort of technical language, not always, you know, um, but generally that will be what happens. Um, and so, yeah, I think just recording it is important. When it comes to video, um, definitely video testimonials can be really good. And you can use that as something that's intended to be published. So if you hire a videographer to come and do a sort of um, talking head style video, that can be useful. But you can also just do it as a, an extra 
extra bit of information for journalists. So you go, look, we've got an interview here. And then that journalist gets a feeling for the client as well, um, which can be, can be useful. Big thing for clients is you've got to make sure they feel relaxed. So um, I used to do this when I was taking photos of buildings. We'd do some recordings with um, clients who were open to being uh, recorded. Some are really jump in front of the camera. They love it. They mm. want to tell their story. Others are really shy because they've never done it before. So being able to gently lead them in, taking away some of the stress so that they start to open up about some of the stories. And I think that's why having a third party interview them can be good um, rather than the architect and client. They may have a, a strange relationship, but that third party is going in as an innocent and just sort of, you know, they're curious about what's going on and they're trying to pull out the, the, real, the real story which um, people want to tell. Yeah, fantastic. And are you seeing journos and publications, particularly those that are online, leverage video much? Are they giving providing space for video to be used in storytelling? Yeah, I think we're we're seeing video um, crop up a lot more. Um, I think in the next five years, maybe even less, you'll see a lot more video storytelling. Um, a lot of publications are creating their own YouTube channels, but you've got actual YouTube channels that are growing out of architecture. So not an existing publication, they just launch a YouTube channel that's all about architecture. Um, so, you know, I, I think video is going to become a lot more important, but it won't always be, there'll, there'll be a little bit of room for you to create your own content, but I think a lot of, there'll be a lot of production houses essentially producing made for YouTube videos around architecture. We're already seeing it happen. Um, so yeah, there's this, this mix. You can produce your own videos. They're quite expensive still at the moment, coming down in price as the, as the years go on. Um, but uh, yeah, there's still, there are people out there, our publications out there that are actually actively creating video content. And I think that's part of the transition is that previously it was very expensive to make the videos. And so there wasn't really a culture in many cities of, um, creating that content in the same way that we create still content. So architectural photography, it's quite normal all around the world, but it's quite hard. Like most cities, you won't know, oh, that's the videographer of that town uh, for architecture. Whereas in photography, you know, you'll be able to rattle off two or three big names. But as we see things like um, equipment get cheaper, drones coming in and this new sort of um, accessibility, all this content is starting to be produced now. And once that quality starts to get high enough and the quantity gets there, I think there'll be a whole range of people wanting to use it and tell stories in that medium. And they'll learn how to do it in you know, bigger and better ways. Yeah, I think we see guys like Colin Chi or even Anthony Richardson of um, Design and Motive do a really good job of that and sort of nailing that YouTube space. So it's, um, it's yeah. exciting to watch that grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we spend a lot of time also encouraging architects to get clear on their own story or that of their practice. Um, what advice do you have for architects in communicating their own story as opposed to that of their projects? How can they go about doing that? Um, look, I think that there comes a point where hiring a professional um, makes a lot of sense. So in this context, we're talking about a professional copywriter, someone who understands um, your clients. Uh, so I think, we always talk about this this point where um, where things flip. So you might be a startup practice, you've got no money in your pocket, and you have a lot of time. That's when you should be doing your own storytelling, um, and you can do it. You know, and in, in, no matter what size you are, you can always do your own storytelling. But there's a point at which it takes you 
you know, 20 times as long as it would take a, a talented copywriter to produce that same content. So essentially you're spend, you, you, you might be paying $200 an hour to yourself to do something um, and you could pay maybe even $300 an hour for a copywriter to do something, um, but it takes you 40 hours and it takes them 10. Um, so it's just, it's just that idea that if your, your time is probably better spent working on what you're trained to do, um, and there's always going to be a point where it's like, actually, it's much better to pay someone to produce that content. And I think when you're telling your own story, it's really hard. Even me or Nick, if we were telling our own story, it's going to be a thousand times better if someone else interviews us mm. to get our story than if we were trying to write it ourselves. And, you know, we're quite good at that stuff. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. It's, it's, it's agonizing to write about yourself because you're, you're overthinking it and you're not sure what part to focus on. Where somebody who's outside looking in, they can see the story straight away or they ask questions and they've never heard it before. So the bits which are really interesting will jump out at them. Whereas when you're doing it yourself, you can kind of skip over the best stuff. You kind of hide that away and uh, it's not until somebody else hears it that they realise that that's where the real story is. Yeah, great. So the advice there is hire an expert, whether it be a copywriter or a marketing consultant. I think if you can, definitely if you can afford it. I think if, you, if, if you're um, limited in your uh, finances, um, even just having a conversation with someone, so recording a conversation with someone who doesn't know much about you, just getting them to ask questions about what it is that you do and your practice, you know, that could be a, a simpler way of doing it. But really the, the key there is that someone else has to has to draw that story out um, to get the best, uh, the best effect. You know, if it's about pages and things like that, you can probably muddle your way through, but creating that story of who you are and thinking about your clients, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a lot easier to get someone else to do that but that's one thing to think about. Don't think about yourself. Don't think about your colleagues. Think about your clients. What do they want to hear about? And again, it could come back to that quite emotive thing. So we often talk about if you're a practice who has dogs in the office, you're going to attract clients who want dogs in their houses. Um, so, you know, starting to think about those things um, that your clients are looking for and the ideal clients that you want to work with. What do they want to hear? Um, it's probably not that you're a multidisciplinary award-winning practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so big tip is don't go to other architects' websites and copy their text, which is pretty much where everybody starts from. Actually go through your journey and talk about what you're passionate about. Like that's a really simple way of doing it. Get somebody else from your office and get them to ask those questions because they'll be able to, um, they'll be able to pull out that story for you. Yeah, excellent. Um, I love that about, you know, dogs in the office and letting your personality shine through. That's that's brilliant. And everybody has a unique story. Everybody, like when they start off telling a story about themselves, they feel like they don't have a story, but everybody does. Everybody started somewhere. Everybody tried to do something. Everybody failed at something, had some challenges, and eventually they overcome those challenges. So that's the basic story, and everyone's got one. Yeah, and be genuine and don't try and sound smarter than you are um, or smarter <laughs> than anyone is. I think that the number number of times we'll look at an about page or, you know, an architect's website and, you know, we talk about archie speak, but really it's just people are, are so self-conscious about their writing that they sort of fall into this poetic slash academic writing. And it's just, I don't know, unless you're trying to get to academic poets as your clients, uh, you've <laughs> lost everyone straight away. <laughs> Yeah, we, we do see a lot of that, unfortunately. So we're recording this interview in the final days of 2020, and it would be remiss not to acknowledge the events that have taken place this year. How have you seen the pandemic um, impact 
the marketing and publication of architecture? How's that changed and how's the Bowerbird community changed in response? Well, for us personally, the biggest thing is we're not traveling as much all around the world. So we were literally jumping on planes and walking like door to door to architects in Argentina, Brazil, UK, everywhere. Um, and that led to not being able to do that, which led to Zoom and Zoom has changed everything. So, and the main thing is being able to communicate with architects and architects being able to communicate with journalists online, which allows them to connect all over the world in a much easier way than they ever have. So rather than everything being face-to-face, -face, so being quite localized within a city, people are now communicating much further distances and being able to talk to people they probably would not have talked to otherwise, because now they've, they've got the technology set up, they've got the cameras set up, you know, Zoom doesn't break every time they use it because they're probably using it every single day. Um, we, because before the pandemic, trying to talk to somebody on Zoom, we'd probably be able to talk to one out of three people. And the other two would, yeah. yeah, they would forget about Zoom or they'd put it in a calendar and it just became so much harder. So now I think that Zoom technology has, has just made everybody work remotely just every day. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fundamentally changed the practice of architecture. I think architects thought they were already doing it. A lot of industries thought they were already, you know, really tech savvy and they could they could do this remote working, but there were very few people who were doing it effectively. And I think a big part of it for the industry is that there'll be less time monitoring and more output focused um, assessment of people's work. So um, that's a really interesting one that people can work from home effectively to produce architectural projects. That was almost people would say, no, you, could, you wouldn't be able to do it. You wouldn't be able to do it. Um, and this year has proven that you can do it. In fact, you can probably do it more efficiently. Um, and yeah, the collaboration, that's the big thing is that we've been forced to collaborate in a way that didn't used to feel that comfortable. For Bowerbird, our team has always been based internationally. We've always been remote um, and we've had to develop this culture all, all digitally, basically. Um, but for, for architecture, I think that's been the major, the major shift. And it just opens up so many doors. These international collaborations that you're able to have now, small practices can collaborate on small projects where it used to be only large practices who would have these international collaborations. Well, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Smaller practices, even solo practitioners working across international um, borders in a way that they never did before. That's really exciting. And, and on that about international collaboration, are you seeing that uh, journalists are more likely to pick up uh, projects from other areas and other countries now as a result of this? Are they more likely to profile work internationally? I think it's probably leveled the playing field a bit as far as proximity is concerned. So now for a journalist, you know, um, a project that is based in, you know, the, the next state um, along or the next city along, um, is is easily is the same there's no sort of oh hang on i know these architects they're in melbourne all of a sudden you know something in auckland is just as significant to them so i think it's definitely definitely opened things up and i think the biggest thing we're seeing is um during any economic downturn there's, there's obviously a contraction in workforce so you know a lot of editors um this year have probably moved out into freelance and things like that so there's been a shifting there but what we're also seeing is a lot of these micro publications popping up and being quite successful so where a large publication let's say with 30 staff working on it uh, within an architecture context um you know they they um have a certain number of uh 
ad spaces that they need to sell in order to maintain that staff. Well, with one person with their own little blog, you know, no print overheads, no office overheads, they actually don't need to make quite as much um, to justify their, their wage. Uh, so we're seeing these micro publications pop up and that, that to me is really exciting. And for them, I think they're going to be a lot less localized. We've seen a lot of localized publications starting to broaden out because they can get content from all over the world. They can have a Zoom meeting. They can talk to those those architects. So, I think yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that has already changed, and there's a lot more to come. I think in 2021 and beyond. That's really exciting. And those micro publications are they niching right down into specific areas of architecture? Mm. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of we're seeing a lot of a lot of that sort of niching down into you know small projects. Um, you know, I think small projects are probably the biggest one that's come up yeah. of late. Um, those people are really obsessed with um, you know tiny tiny homes and tiny apartments and things like that. I think they are niching down, but um, at the same time, there's just this there's this ability for new publications to um, to pick up a lot more projects that just weren't getting published before. So. You know, it may be the, the publications may be broader, but there's so much content out there that doesn't really see the light of day because the larger publications don't have room to publish it. Um, so I think that's the exciting part is there's a lot more opportunities for everyone. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, and I've got to ask, I noticed that Bowbird has been recruiting recently more explorers. Can you share with our viewers what are the plans for 2021? Yes, we, uh, we're basically trying to we're trying to take Bowbird all around the world. So at the moment we're in quite a few countries, but in 2021, I think we're thinking more Europe. So we'll probably try to Germany, Amsterdam, uh, potentially Italy and Spain and Japan as well. So that would be really exciting for us if we could uh, sort of find more projects from those areas. And um, yeah, anywhere else, Ben? Um, well, I mean, we're, we're very opportunistic. Uh, so <laughs> if we find if we find the right person, uh, we're we're definitely excited about lots of areas around the world. We we think it translates to almost every country in the world. So we just need to um, make sure that the market stacks up, and and we would go there. So I think you know Southeast Asia for me, um, sort of around hubs like uh, Singapore, uh, Hong Kong. I think they would be they would be good. But um, yeah, for us. At the moment, the, the first half of next year will definitely be a focus on Europe and um, figuring out Japan. I was going to ask if there's any more features or enhancements on the platform itself coming as well. Well, funny you say that. We've, uh, we are planning lots for 2021 because, um, well, in the past, I mean, Bowbird started off as this project where we were building it all ourselves, but the team's finally getting large enough where we're starting to build a development team. And so 2021 is going to be lots of features, all sorts of things that we, um, we're going to be asking for a lot of feedback to. So from the community, which they've been very patient as we've gone through this startup phase and um, having us build it in the background. But now we're really going to actively be building new features and um, seeing where we can take Bowerbird. Excellent. And for those architects that are watching who aren't on the Bowerbird platform, how do they go about joining? Uh, they can jump over to bowerbird.io. Uh, there's a little button there saying join and um, just put your details in there and there'll be somebody in the world who will come and talk to you. And um, it's not everybody is allowed to come into Bowerbird because part of what we do is we have to um, make sure they've got projects which are going to match the journalists we have. So that's part of what makes Bowerbird work. Um, so it's 
once you come in, we make sure that you're going to get success and then we give you an account and off you go. Um, our podcast is a really great way to understand um, before you even get to that registration point. Well, not really. Go and register because we want to hear from you. Um, but uh, listen to that podcast because it's going to give you the overview of how architectural publishing works, um, how it's changed over the years, all the different aspects, and it will just help you kind of self-assess um, whether the work that you have would be would be publishable, but or how to get your work to the point where it's publishable. Um, so that's a really great place to start. I mean, you do have to listen to Nick and I um, sort of <laughs> prattle on for <laughs> however many hours, but it's worth it. We've been told it's worth it. It is, I can to that. There's a lot of gold nuggets. I've listened to quite a few works myself in there, so it's worth listening to. <laughs> Nick and Ben, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. And we really look forward to following Bowbird's developments in 2021. Thank you. Very good. Thanks for having us.